Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to the EDH Rec Room, a place for some casual discussion about Commander. I'm joined, as always, by Matt Morgan. How you doing, bud? I'm good. I had a dream last night. I was swimming in an ocean full of orange soda, and I woke up and realized it was just a fantasy. Stop it. That's so good. <laughs> You're too good my, at you, 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 you might say my dreams were crushed. Uh, we are. Nope, we're done. That's, uh, <laughs> that's so really Anyway, I'm also joined by Dana. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. Um, now, Joey, how do you know that um, your graveyard strategy is popular? How do how how Dana? I'd love your, to know. your creatures are just dying to get in. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> that very much. <laughs> and you also uh, kind of segue us into a little bit the uh, topic that we're discussing in this rec room. Um, we're doing just a small series about our personal favorite commander strategies, the uh, tips that we have for those strategies or the things that make us um, love them as much as we do and make them our signature styles. And this time I'm up. I'm talking about graveyards and why I like them so much because graveyards are the best. And uh, I hope that when this is all done, Dana, as you pointed out, y'all will also be dying to get in too. <laughs> well, so the question is though, Joey, so why is that your favorite strategy? Like, like what is it about graveyards that made you so attracted to brewing so many decks around replaying stuff from the yard? Because gra the graveyards are so good. So <laughs> I know that's a vague description, but it's just they're so good, man. It's such you, a you good, you have a way with words, Joey. That I host a podcast, and let me tell you, good cards are good. These cards are good. Um, I love. I mean, first of all, the fact that a big graveyard, if you can pull stuff out of it, it's like you have an enormous hand, basically, because there's so much that you can play with from there. It's like you're not restricted to that seven card hand. You've got so much more going on. Like it's it's just beautiful. But honestly, that's not even the only reason. I remember a long time ago, back playing at an FNM, I played against a guy who had a dread return strategy. Um, and it just knocked my socks off. He like absolutely demolished me with this card. He had bridge from belows in his graveyard. So when his creatures died or something to that effect, like he would make a bunch of zombies and then he sacrificed those zombies by flashing back a dread return to revive like an Acroma and then like a flamekin zealot or whatever from his graveyard, despite the fact that he didn't have planes 
or mountains in his deck. He was getting these cards. And I was just like, you can do that in my 12-year-old voice. So it was more like, you can do that. Like, I was just totally wowed by how efficient all of that was because it was like, it was cheating, but he was doing it legally. And that kind of has always stuck with me. Like I wanted to build my own versions of that. And that totally crept into my commander experience as well, because what I like doing is cheating, but legally, I want to just cheat stuff into play. And graveyards are one of the most hyper-efficient ways to do that. It is so much disgusting potential. And I love just paying two mana with an animate dead to get a 10 mana creature back out of the yard and making everyone else go like, um, that's ahead of curve. Like, it's just, it's such a power move. It's such a trip. So, so do you think that was kind of your first glimpse into like how the game is significantly more complicated than maybe it first appears on paper? I, I mean, most likely, yeah. I had certainly been um kind of in the uh the boros or the is it ways before that point i think um and i was beginning to experiment around with like ooh mono black corlash air to black blade deck but then i saw that type of strategy and i was just like there's so much more happening here that isn't just a combat step and i need to visit that part of the game i it turned me to the dark side absolutely the complexity drew me in it's the dark side seduced me (laughs) well and and looking at your decks joey it's not just like you're doing graveyard things because when you look at your actual decks that gets really vague and unspecific because a (laughs) you have so many graveyard decks but also They're doing fairly different things. Like you have Marin that is recurring these engines and, and making sure that you're getting these these massive threats, usually for for cheap as free. But then like you have your Conrad deck, which does not do that at all. Like it, it's cranking mm-hmm. through so many graveyard triggers. And then your Mimeoplasm deck that I still don't enjoy seeing ever. <laughs> that's just like, what is the most silly thing I can reanimate and how fast can I do it? So like it, it's just crazy how many different things you're doing. So like you say graveyard decks, but that's not specific at all. No, that's totally true. That's another thing that I like about it so much. And what I think might be, I'm, I'm going to dispel a, a, a misconception about graveyard decks um, is that like, that is a big umbrella term for a lot of different nuance happening within that strategy. Like you just mentioned, each of those decks, like to, to someone, it might seem like that's kind of redundant, Joe. Like that's not that kind of the same strategy over and over. And it really doesn't feel like it because there's so much surprising versatility going on with graveyards. It's kind of like a color wheel. Like these strategies are all the color blue, but they have those gradients between them from sky blue to navy to cerulean. Like the way Marin revives things is different than the way that Conrad does. And and the way Marin fills the graveyard is different than the way Conrad does. Something like, you know, uh, Muldrotha will win a long battle of attrition by inexorably getting stuff back from the grave over and over and over. Whereas Mimeoplasm is going to revive things way ahead of curve and demoralize opponents right from the get-go. So like the tempo of those games is completely different. Or uh, so some graveyard commanders will want a bunch of tiny creatures, but others only need one big baddie. You know, Mimeoplasm, you don't need help. He just wants to become a copy of like a walking ballista or an evasive infect creature with a bazillion plus one plus one counters on it from a Lord of Extinction and just crush the whole battlefield. <laughs> I can build an entire deck that is just built around abusing my graveyard, like my lovely Marin of Clan Neltoth. But then I can also build one that is built around abusing cards in your graveyard. Um, and Mimeoplasm does that really efficiently. If I find that you've got something tasty in your graveyard over there, I've intentionally filled your graveyard to help me out with that. Um, and then con- Red can 
play around more with ripping stuff out of my graveyard too, but then also filling enemy graveyards. Like there's a whole bunch of extra different expressions that you can do during gameplay. Um, and like that goes down to other small things too. Like I might have a plan on the fly. I'm planning to animate dead one of my biggest creatures because I know it's going to be awesome, but maybe you'll get a bigger one that I'm more interested in. And that sounds really great. Or a really fun sort of juggling act is measuring how much value my opponents will get off of my living death spell that brings everyone's graveyards back into play. Well, and to kind of visualize that, like if magic is, you know, a house, you then discovered graveyards as kind of this unexplored wing of the house for you wanted to go play. And then once you were playing there, you're like, oh, there's a cool sub basement on this wing. And there's this cool other room I didn't know about. So like you've then moved beyond that. You found this cool space you could play in. And now you're trying to see like what other weird offshoots of that space are there you can play in. Yes, but the house is a necropolis. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> gothic and spooky. Indeed. So, Joey, it, it almost it, it seems like there's almost archetypes within graveyard decks. Do you mm-hmm. feel the need to like differentiate? So, like you say, my Marin is a graveyard deck, or is it, do you think Aristocrats maybe can like gets a different message across? I guess my my question is like, are there different archetypes within just the graveyard theme, as it were? Yeah, I, I would totally say so. Um, aristocrats built all around sacrificing your own stuff for value. Like my Marin deck is simultaneously a reanimator deck, but also I'm going to Zulaport cutthroat everyone to death by just sacrificing all of my many, many creatures. Because I, Matt, I know that you love a combat step, but I don't like doing math during a combat step. It's just so much easier if everyone just loses a bunch of life at the same time with a Zulaport <laughs> cutthroat. It just makes my life so much easier. Um, but then, you know, you compare that to Mimeoplasm and that is just a straight up reanimator deck for sure um which doesn't have much of those uh, different delineations about sacrificing my own creatures for value nearly as often um and, and so you definitely can get those different gradients between them but it is a very like i, I don't know <laughs> this probably sounds a little pompous and i'm sorry but like you do have to build very carefully around that and when it is being played so and it looks so broken like a lot of the uh the actual I don't want to say skill, but like a lot of the care of the, a lot of the planning for that maybe um, went into the deck building because when you're building something like a reanimator deck, there are so many different moving pieces to each of those. You know, I know that we're probably all a little bit used to Muldrotha just being able to just shovel value out of a graveyard just by dint of its stuff dying and it doesn't have to do a whole lot. But at the same time, there's a lot of extra care that's going into what stuff they have planned to get back. And in reanimator specifically, like if you draw all of your big seven, eight and nine drops in your opening hand, the game's not going to go well for you. You have to balance that out against the cards that will enable you to have a good amount of ramp to actually be in the game along with card advantage while you're killing off your own stuff. Uh, to keep you in the game there too. Um, Not to mention ways that you can fill your own graveyard to then get those reanimation spells to pull everything back out. I totally have opening hands where it's like, here's my animate dead, here's my other reanimation spells, but I don't have a way to get the creatures into my graveyard that are worth reanimating or vice versa. I don't draw a single reanimation spell. It's just a bunch of simple creatures. And then it feels like I'm playing a game on normal mode instead of playing it as broken as I want to. So like, so a lot of those different categories, you have to pay very careful attention to just within the deck building process so that the deck can behave as brokenly as it should during gameplay. Well, and it's funny too, that you say you don't like the combat step because that math is too hard. I have a taste of Karloff deck and I try to do some of these things you're talking about. And I've sat there 
like an absolute dork trying to math out how Zulaport Cutthroat works. So it's just funny that like the attention to detail that you have towards the graveyard decks is I can respect it because it's online with how I feel about the combat step where it just feels natural. So it definitely takes a different muscle compared to a lot of other decks that people might be used to playing if you haven't played graveyard decks or aristocrat style decks before. Yeah, you definitely do learn to sort of um, internalize some of those different lines. Like when I get a Buried Alive or an Entomb, these are the things I know I'm getting. When I have my Fauna Shaman, these are the things I'm pretty sure that I'll want in any given scenario. You, you do sort of, through repetition, you do find all of those different lessons for sure um, to make all of those things a lot easier on yourself. Well, we talked a little bit when we did this show with Matt about how, you know, I, I can kind of see a reflection in his playstyle in his personality. Like I can see the, how those two things kind of reflect one another. Is there something you think in, in dabbling in this graveyard space that you think reflects you a little bit, Joey? I think the resilience of it is what I enjoy so much, maybe. Um, okay. I, I, well, because I don't want to focus on the fact that I said I like cheating, but legally. <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, I do love che- like I also have a Yannette deck, which isn't reanimator, but it is also cheating things into play. And it makes me really happy. I get broken giggles about it. Um, but the fact that anything that an enemy does, if they're wiping your board, if they're killing your creatures, every strike against you is just another thing that adds to your own benefit because you want those things in your graveyard in the first place. There is so much resilience that you get from that type of strategy where even when your opponents are one-upping you and getting rid of your board state that actually plays right into your hand um like ah that just absolutely i think really appeals to me having that idea of resiliency of spirit or of zombie well yeah i mean i I was also kind of wondering as well if because particularly early in magic's history the graveyard was very much a place where cards went to never return from for the most part like there mm-hmm. you just didn't play out of your graveyard aside from the occasional spell that could recur something um i i wondered if kind of the the almost rule breaking aspect of it like you're finding a way to play the game in a way that originally wasn't intended i wonder if that was at all appealing to you are you just calling me a rascal? Are you just calling me a rascal? <laughs> Maybe, but like, <laughs> I, I can see how, I, like, it's not my thing, but I can see how that would provide you with, provide, provide someone with a sense of joy about it, like finding a way to, to go against what was intended and kind of fighting against those constraints. I think that's a compliment, so I'm going to yeah. take it. <laughs> There's there's one other uh, like a, a special lesson I guess about like the graveyard strategy that I also uh, really want to you know as long as we're talking about like tips or uh, things learned through playing the graveyard but like graveyard hate looks pointedly at Dana is really <laughs> like it's all over the place also looks pointedly at Matt <laughs> just like I <laughs> I think on our on our stream like I've played against I want to say that there were thirteen different graveyard exile effects that I encountered in the course of a single game, um, which just <laughs> felt like overkill. <laughs> that was really bad. So like, this is totally, it, it has the capacity to be such a glass cannon strategy for sure, because a single Bajuka Bog is just like, ah, dang, there went all of my hard work. A rest in peace is like, I just make grumbling noises when that card happens, because it's just like all my hard work then and now is completely just out the window. There's almost nothing I can do. I got to get back into it. But like that also kind of appeals to me because yes, you can build your deck to have answers to those things, but also at the same time, 
that kind of eats into all of the other categories in your deck that you kind of need to flesh out as well. So if you devote too many cards to the answers to the thing that would wreck your strategy, you kind of may accidentally wreck your own strategy because you won't draw the cards that make the strategy good if you're drawing just too many things that would help keep your graveyard preserved. Um, and, and that's another thing that you kind of have to keep in mind. Sometimes you just, if they've got the hate, you have to play into it. And if they don't have that answer, then you're going to be good, but you, you got to make them have it. Yeah, that, that's definitely the weird push-pull with those decks is if somebody doesn't have a way to interact with the graveyard, you are just going to roll over them. And if people do have answers, you are kind of unable to do very much. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the, the the game with the 13 – never mind. Uh, <laughs> I actually don't remember all how that went, um, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I do because I was the one that was fielding most of it, and it, it took you and said from one more mana – um, several attempts to get rid of one scavenging ooze, and that little boy, he just did work. He, he was hungry. He was just trying to find something to put together. But it, it, I, it do appreciate Joey that like the the graveyard decks, especially that you build, even with all of those grave hate effects that were played by the table, you still found ways to navigate. And I guess this is the one thing that maybe I just I I can't comprehend the same way. I, I Dana's Sphinx control deck. I just can't grok necessarily, uh, but just the way that you're able to, in the face of grave hate, finding ways to time everything. Like you, you talked about the nuances, and okay, you have to make sure you're you're taking into consideration your your payoffs, your setups. You know how are you going to navigate, and then just like your vegetable cards, your your ramp everything. There's a lot that goes into the deck building process, and that carries over into the gameplay. Every time that I see you playing any of these many graveyard decks, you have. You're, the wheels are constantly turning. You don't get a turn off to kind of, okay, I can, I can make this decision later. Like you have to be making very important decisions literally every single turn. Yeah, Matt, I, I hope that you uh, you don't give up on the Tesa um, on all of the graveyard <laughs> stuff. I, I hope that you uh, you know stick with it more because it is just very enchanting. But I, I will also say, like, it takes a, a whole lot to, of um, repetition to really feel as comfortable with those different lines. I would say, um, listeners, my uh, deck lists are going to be in the description for this episode, um, and in those deck lists, I do have some of them um, like categorized out in pretty strict ways, um, I think. And those categories I find are really helpful when I'm looking through other folks' decks to see how it is that they intend to play those. Um, and so maybe that will also be useful too, is like figuring out how it is that you categorize each of those and having those different categories that are very strict and not too broad um, can help make those different lines of play a bit easier, um, not just in the deck building process, but also like when it is being expressed in gameplay as well. So look for those in the description and hopefully those uh those tricks will be helpful for you and that you'll join. I, Matt, I just want you to join the grave. It's so good. <laughs> the strategy's so good, guys. I keep trying to tell you, but you keep on exiling my stuff instead. I, I told you I have a taste of deck. I just, I just don't trust it. Well, and I'm also trying to not read too much into the fact that, that if you actually look up the uh, Schultz family crest, it's just two cross shovels over an open coffin. <laughs> There it is. Um, I have no comment. 